2: Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spaschano, joined, as always, by the original Long Island Ice Z himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing? I had to throw that Z in there because this weekend, Benny, I was at a show here in Virginia with the uh, former Zack Ryder himself. So I wanted to just sh- throw a shout out to him. He wrestled our former guest, Brandon Scott. Hell of a match. It's good stuff. So I just wanted to throw that little twist in there for you. Uh, sh- sorry you couldn't make it, but we'll definitely hope to see you at the next one.
1: Well, you know, he stole my gimmick. That's a whole different story. But you know, Dan, and, and and what seems to be a weekly thing lately, we once again, sadly, have to announce the passing of another wrestling legend, um, exotic, exotic Adrian Street, who literally entertained crowds all over the world for almost a half century. Uh, passed away last week at the age of eighty-two, I believe.
2: Yeah, another one. It seems that every week we're talking about somebody else and and that area before we got to recording tonight, Benny, we were talking. You mentioned you said you uh, grew up in the best era of wrestling and it really seems like there isn't much of that era left.
1: No, no, sir.
2: Well, speaking of uh, good eras of wrestling, we always go uh, always love the territory talks and we got a really good, talented territory guy with us tonight. Benny, why don't you tell everybody who's on the phone with us this evening?
1: Well, it's kind of ironic that our guest actually did have a huge rivalry with uh, Adrian Street when they both worked for uh, Continental Championship Wrestling. And like you said, the territories were the heart and soul of wrestling for many years. And our guest was always in the mix, uh, winning gold as both a singles and tag team performer. It's my absolute great pleasure to welcome Wildcat Wendell Cooley to uh, Dan and Benny in the Ring. Mr. Cooley, welcome. Well, thank you. Good to be with you guys.
0: Yeah, we appreciate
2: Appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. i hope hoping to get a lot of good stories tonight. Um, but like Benny said, you you uh, you had a great rivalry. We usually always start with the same question, but we're gonna we're gonna flip it up a little bit today. We usually ask about when the the bug got you, but given that we started with a memorial to Adrian Street, I, I want to jump right into that. Your rivalry with him, we'd really be interested in hearing your thoughts on working with Adrian Street since you, your careers were so intertwined for back then.
0: Okay, uh well let let me uh just throw it out like this. You guys ask the questions, I'll give the answers as best I can cuz I don't want to just ramble on and on and on and on and on about the same topic, but um we will start there. Um back in 1980 I want to say 86, somewhere around February, March of 1986. Um I got the phone call to come to work for Continental Championship Wrestling, which is my home area where I started in 1983 uh, with Ron Fuller, who owned the company. His brother, Robert, and Bob Armstrong were the other two bookers. Um, And, you know, I was a lifelong fan of wrestling Um, as a kid growing up um We only got, like I said, I think we talked earlier. And growing up in the 60s, we had three little TV channels we could pick up with our antenna. You know, most people nowadays don't even know what antenna was, but <laughs> we would take turns as kids going outside and turning it and holler, oh, whoa, 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 turn it, turn it, whoa, no, hold it right there. So we could see the TV. But anyway, it came on late at night and my mom would wake me up when I was a kid. Because it came on at ten o'clock at night, and I couldn't never stay awake until ten. But she'd wake me up, and I would get up and watch it, and get worked up, and be up hell half the half the night after that. But anyway, long story short, um, I worked a lot of independent shows. I did some some. Let's just put it this way: talent enhancement instead of job guys. When I was first getting started with the Fullers, and I did probably six or eight jobs for him and they told the guy that trained me um we we can't keep using this kid we don't want to beat him up and kill him here (laughs) uh send him somewhere and get him some talent because he's got an opportunity that he could probably do something and we don't you know want to kill him we'd like to bring him back and use him so anyway long story short i went off and wrestled anywhere i could for It didn't make a difference how much the money was. I just wanted time in the ring and get experience. And I did that. Uh, Anyway, I worked for uh, Blanchard for a little while, Tully Blanchard's dad, Joe, in uh, um, San Antonio. Um, And uh, I probably had been in the business at that time, maybe eight or nine months. They brought me in and put straps on me and, Jerry Osky, uh who later on went to work in Memphis a little bit. He was from New York area, but after the Memphis run, he kind of faded out. And then I did some singles. I left there, went to work for Bill Watts for a while. They put the the belts on myself and Al Perez um uh for a few months and then we had a falling out, myself and management not Al. Al super duper guy great partner great person uh, i went to work for jerry jarrett uh and i worked there for several months and um uh had some personal issues so i needed to really leave there and come home what well, just so happens that the fullers had a spot available and it was going to be working a program with adrian Street. Well. I kind of had my, my doubts, you know, when I was coming in because of the flamboyant gimmick that he was working and how in the hell that we would ever get through that and do anything with it. Because I was still real green in the business at the time. However, I done had a good push in two different territories, but or three, I'm sorry, uh, within a two-year period but I still had my reservations about it really uh, when I came in and from what I was told, I really weren't brought in to be the top guy. Okay. I was brought in to work a program with Adrian, get him over and move him on about his business. Well, it just so happened that we clicked for whatever reason, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the old southern, down-home, you know, uh, country boy, you know, poor boy growing up in the suburbs uh, against, uh, you know, the big flamboyant, fed-with-a-silver-spoon kind of person. I don't know, but it just clicked. For whatever reason, it clicked. And I can remember the first night I ever went to the dressing room to introduce myself when i first came back uh he and linda were in there doing their thing putting on his makeup and whatever and you know i introduced myself to him and robert had already i think robert was booking at the time robert fuller probably anyway we had done gotten the finish and i walked in and said okay here's what they want us to do do you have any problems with it He said, no, mate, it's all well, you know, doing his English accent, you know. So anyhow, uh, but the, the, the chemistry that we had, man, it went for months and months. I mean, he couldn't believe it. Uh, we became extremely close, close friends. And I'll tell you what, the, uh, the uh, the bond that Linda and Adrian had between them two, dude, it was unbelievable. There was nothing he could ever ask her to do that she ever questioned. Never gave it a second thought. Whatever he told her to do, she did it. What a wonderful, wonderful frickin' person, man. Never talk in the ring, okay? That was another thing. All we knew was in the dressing room, we knew what they wanted us to do at the end. But we never we never discussed anything. Everything was in the ring. It was mainly because he knew my gimmick and I knew his. We just went for it. You know what I mean? And it worked. It clicked. For yeah. several, several months. And I got to give I, I'm I'ma tell you that that was the the jump start of my whole entire freaking career right there.
1: Gotcha. Well, going back a little bit. So we, we you started talking about your, you know, your childhood, with the three channels. Who was the fan in the family uh, growing up? Would you say that again. So uh, when you, you mentioned earlier about having the three channels on, on your set and one of them had wrestling, um, yeah. was your mom the fan? You said mentioned your mom woke you up so you could watch it. Which, which no, no, f- no no I
0: had her wake me up because I wanted to watch it. It was me and my two brothers. My mother oh, raised Oh all right. Me. Gotcha. My mother raised me and two two other brothers on freaking minimum wage or less. So but I mean I mean obviously we didn't have you know you know the best of the best. We 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 survived. But we got three TV channels, and that
1: was our favorite things to watch was roller derby and wrestling.
0: <laughs>
1: and sounds uh, like my sounds like my Saturday morning. So what? Yeah. Ch- what promotion did you get where you were? It was, it was called, called Gulf, Gulf Coast Belt Coast. Gulf Coast. Back Gulf in the Coast. All right, that's the Fullers, right? Well,
0: well no, actually, it was um, it was uh, Cowboy Bob Kelly and Lee Fields. Okay. Back in those early days. Gotcha. Gulf Coast. Then it went to Southeastern is when the Fullers took it over. Right. And then right. they finally evolved into Continental when they started doing uh, TV in, in, in the big arenas to try to keep up with everybody else, you know. Because we were still doing it in the studio when I first started.
2: Well, speaking of first starting, you uh – <laughs> we're hoping you could expand on this. We talked a little bit about it before we got to recording tonight. Uh, I was hoping it's kind of a two part thing. One, when did you, you sort of expand a little bit on, on when you made the transition from fan to wrestler. And, and you said you have quite an interesting story involving your brother and your cousin and your claim to having invented backyard wrestling.
0: Well, back in the day, this was back in the, I would say I graduated in 1979, but I was a fan up till then, just a wrestling fan. I didn't go all the time, but I did go as much as I could. Um, But however, my brother worked at a local hardware place back in the day. It was kind of like a Home Depot, but it was long before Home Depot and Lowe's came about. And he met a retired wrestler. His name was Bad Boy Hines. If you'll Google him, you'll find out that was one tough, salty son of a gun. He was really big in the business in the 50s and 60s and 70s. So uh, he got to to, to befriend him and got to question him and ask him, would he train him to become a wrestler? And he said, well, yeah. So my brother and my, my cousin uh, built a ring in the backyard at my cousin's house and they started training and they had been doing it for two or three months and uh, I got the bug after, you know, I said, well, shoot, let me see if I can do it. I got one, one, one training session with Bad Boy before he had an accident, had a heart attack and an automobile accident and died. Oof. So, Prior to that, he had led us on to one of his close contacts, and we tracked him down. His name was Larry Pearson. He was a deputy sheriff in my hometown. So we finally contacted him, and uh, we asked him if he would finish training us. He agreed to do so and uh, said that uh, he had contacts if he thought that we were ample, you know, enough he would he'd make the phone call and get us an opportunity so we busted our butts for several months and my brother greg got the first opportunity on tv for uh robert and ron they were southeastern at the time charlie platt was the commentator and i think my brother's first match was a tag team match with uh archie goody who was the mongolian oh, stomper yeah. And Tommy Lane was Stomper Junior, who was one of the original RPMs, he and Mike Davis. They were uh putting them together as you know, Stomper Senior and Junior. So my brother Greg and whoever his partner was, I don't remember. But you know, that really drove it home for me. Okay, I know if he can do it, by God I can do it. So it was a month or two later I got my first opportunity. Uh, And it was with Bill Ash, and I know everybody knows who Bill Ash is, because Bill Ash and his father made all the wrestling boots for everybody that ever wore a pair of boots for 40 years. And uh, uh, it it was freaking awesome. I had the bug then, and there was nothing else I was going to do but become a wrestler. I was a plumber at the time, actually, a journeyman plumber.
2: You you hear that, Benny? Not only did he invent backyard wrestling, but they ripped off the T.L. Hopper gimmick.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. You should sue that for some Mm -hmm. more. (laughs) Yep. Wendell, just curious, um, how did you get the name Wildcat? Was that something you came up with? And uh, I guess they always build you from Texas. Um, Well, the other question is, uh, do you spell your name online on your social media? I, I see it with an A, but a lot of times online I see it with an E. Yeah, no, it's with an A. Okay. Okay, but
0: whenever I first started, like I said earlier, I think before we even came online, started recording, uh, when I was working with Ron and Robert, they didn't want to beat me up and use me too much here. I didn't have any experience, but they didn't want to beat me up because they thought somewhere down the road that I might have an opportunity, you know what I mean, to do something. So I started working every independent show I could find anybody that would give me a person's name. I'd call them and go work for them. I ended up going to work for Burt Prentice, who was uh, Chris Love. He was uh, in San Antonio for a while with the Blanchards. He was trying to start a little territory up in Iowa, actually. So out of the blue, he called me and asked me if I'd be interested in the go. And uh, I said, well, hell Yeah. So he flew me up and we did a bunch of TV tapings and I stayed up there for three or four months. And I just didn't think Wendell Cooley was going to be a big, you know, a, a catchy name. So I was watching, uh, Southwest championship wrestling. Scott Casey was, you know, that's kind of the, 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 the gimmick that I wanted because my, my, my all time first. Wrestling hero was Cowboy Bob Kelly from Gulf Coast Championship Wrestling, and you uh, know I seen Scott Casey, and I thought, "Dadgum, okay, I'm gonna put my last name Casey." And then I, uh, I came up with Rick, Rick Casey. So when I started working for Chris Love up in uh, South Dakota, Iowa, Nebraska area, I called myself Rick Casey, the cousin of cowboy scott casey well scott casey and bob sweetan came up and worked several shows for us up there and i got to be pretty good friends with scott and asked him if he minded me using the name and whatever and he said no whatever you got to do you do and i said well any way that you could help me please do so he said let me let me talk to him when i get back home so he went back home and talked to, uh, Joe and, uh, I think, uh, I think Jonathan Boyd, one of the sheep herders was doing the booking at the time. So I get a phone call one day and it's Jonathan Boyd. He said, Hey, uh, this is Jonathan Boyd. Uh, I got a spot for you here in Texas. If you want to take it. I said, hell yeah. When you want me to be there? And this was like a week or two before Thanksgiving or Christmas or something. I think it's Thanksgiving. So I told my wife, I said, look, I'm going to pack up and head to Texas. I finally got my my breakthrough opportunity to do this full time. So uh, I drove on down, and uh, I stayed with Scott there for a couple weeks and got my feet on the ground, and that's when they teamed me up with Jerry Oski. Right away, uh, they put the belts on. He and I, we worked with uh, Eric Embry and his partner, Danny. uh, I can't think of his last name. I only known him as Pudge, but, (laughs) uh, but anyway, they put the belts on us right away. And, uh, we, we, uh, we worked for several weeks and then Oski decided that he was bigger and better and wanted to move on. So he left and left me on my own. So I went off as a single and they put the heavyweight belt on me there for a month or two. And I worked with Kevin Sullivan and Mark Lewin. He was doing the purple haze uh gimmick there back then and uh, uh territory was really really suffering then i got a phone call from uh bill dundee who was doing the books for bill watts and then i went to work for bill watts and
1: you know rest is history so i'm curious wendell growing up in florida and then wrestling were, were you in, in that territory in the winter in South Dakota, Iowa, those that, those areas? It was
0: actually fall going into winter, because I did get a little bit of the winter. Uh, heavy snow, cold, freezing, freaking ice, and all that bull crap. But and you had never seen yes. that before, right? No, no, hell no. <laughs> hell no. That hadn't been quite the shot. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't have given a shit if I'd have had to walk across hot coals back in them days. You know what I mean? I just right. wanted to make it. Well, after
2: a uh, after a bit, I mean, you mentioned you 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 know moving up into the Southwest. You, you talked about Joe Blanchard. Uh, you mentioned. In your documentary, that that was a huge. The Southwest Championship Wrestling was a huge territory area wise, but it was still obviously packed with talent. Uh, our hundredth episode, we had Ken Patera on as our guest, and he mentioned he had his payoff for a two out of three falls match with then NWA World Champion Jack Briscoe in uh, Corpus Christi, I believe, was twenty five dollars, and Jack Briscoe got forty five dollars. So. Jack offered to buy him dinner that night. Uh, I imagine things got a little better by the time you got there, but I was wondering if you could uh, expand a little bit on your experiences in Texas because you, you mentioned, obviously, when you talked about the Rick Casey name, uh, kayfabe relative of Scott Casey. I've had the pleasure of interviewing him in the past. Great talk, but I was hoping you could expand a little bit on your time in Texas.
0: Um, yeah, the, um, well – Dang, it seems like a lifetime ago because that was my very first actual full-time territory, but um, wow. I was making $4 an hour at home as a licensed journeyman plumber, okay, which is you have to take a state exam and know what you're doing, and you got to dot the I's, cross the T's, and being on the top of your profession uh, making uh, $4 an hour. So on a 40-hour week, I'm making $160 a week, digging ditches and plumbing houses and just doing whatever in the plumbing trade. But I, I go to San Antonio, and and back in the day, we had a $40 guarantee, which means if we showed up, nobody showed up, weren't no fans, we were going to get $40 a night but the freaking trips were just phenomenal i mean 200 300 350 400 one way and then you make them there and back in the same day because you couldn't afford to stay over so everybody in that territory at that time we were we were um we were suffering a little bit because that's when uh, wcw ted turner had bought everything out Okay. And everybody was leaving, going there. Tully had left, and all a lot of all the top talent guys had left, and they were a couple leftovers, um, but no real big baby face other than Scott, and he weren't even full time at that time. Um, he was trying to get, he was trying to get in with uh, world class with the Von Erichs, which turned out to be a bad choice because. Nobody works for the Von Erichs and works above the Von Erichs. You know what I mean, right? Uh, and, and those guys were great guys. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying anything negative, but um, so when I got to Southwest, we knew we were gonna make a minimum of forty a night. But hell, gas wasn't but thirty cent a gallon back then. And if you hauled three other guys in your car, you got four guys. You're making five cents a mile trans they pay you trans, so you'd make 30 or $40 from the guys, so you'd have a pretty good night. So I drove as much as I could freaking drive, you know, right. uh, to get the extra money and uh, get me a place to stay and then be able to bring my wife and my daughter to Texas with me because I was there on my own. But um, it was me. Bob Sweetan was one of the biggest stars. Scott Casey was a kind of in and out. Uh, Sweetan was pretty much every night. I was every night. Jonathan Boyd was there doing the books, but Luke weren't with him. Luke had left and went to work with uh, Butch. Uh, I think Kevin Sullivan came in for a few appearances. Um Mark Lewin came in for a few. uh, And that was pretty much it. We didn't have a lot of big talent left. So, you know, I struggled through it as long as I could. And uh, when I brought my wife and daughter out and ended up, you know, having to get my own place instead of sharing with, you know, three other guys, we're spending, you know, pennies between all of us sharing a a place together. I had to get my own place and shit like that. It got got kind of tough. So I made a phone call to my guy who trained me, Larry Pearson, and said, Hey, can you help me? And he said, Let me make a few phone calls. So uh they got in touch with Bill Dundee, who was doing the books in uh Louisiana for Bill Watts. And uh that was a hell of a move up. You know, I'm probably averaging 30350 a week which is double what I was making before I went there don't get me wrong but right hell we're driving 3000 miles a week almost and <sighs> it was unbelievable how big that territory was
2: right yeah to to put in perspective for our listeners uh the average american drives 12000 miles a year you were driving 12000 miles a month so
0: absolutely no <laughs> doubt no freaking doubt no I bought my first brand new vehicle in 1986 when I came back here to work for Continental mm-hmm. 50,000 miles on it in the first 6 months
2: wow jeez uh,
0: and this is not a big territory it, really it's not a big territory my be- uh <laughs> that's
2: my my Forester is uh 2019 and I just hit 50,000 miles before last oil change
0: i'll be damned. yeah we, we put some miles in back in the day but when i worked for watch man about halfway through that um we really we hooked up with uh southwest because man you could freaking fly some of those damn uh trips for 25 30 damn dollars and we couldn't drive it for that You know, we go from San Antonio, or not San Antonio, I'm sorry, Baton Rouge to freaking uh, Oklahoma City or Tulsa for 30 bucks and then rent a car. Shit, we couldn't drive it for that. Wow. Yeah, hell, we jumped all over that shit right there. We thought we were big time then whenever we got all those freaking deals. And then, you know, there was a lot of wrestling fans also back in the day, and we'd get hooked up on first class seats and all kind of different gimmicks, you know, but right. Yeah. San Antonio was a big, huge freaking territory. Big, big.
1: Wendell, this is going to be a a long winded question here. So hopefully I don't lose my train of thought. So you talked about being in Mid-South and teaming up with Al Perez. I think your name was town and country and you guys actually did win the, the Mid-South tag team championships, but it was kind of, kind of short lived and, I actually wrote a story about Al Perez for the uh, the Pro Wrestling Web- Stories website. And I always, like in my mind, thought he should have went a lot further in the business with, you know, given his look and his talent. So that's one of the questions. And then um, I, I believe that's all, also where you first met up with Dutch Mantel. Uh, so I wanted you to talk about him as well. And then the last part of the question is that um, I watched your documentary and. The way that you left mid, the reason why you left mid south, uh, I, I really didn't you know I had I didn't know that and I I kind of felt bad for you because I really thought they you know they didn't they didn't treat you the right you know they didn't take care of things the right way I guess is what I'm trying to say so I wanted you to talk about that as well.
0: Okay, all right. So when I first got the call to go to work in mid south, uh, the very first night I was there was in el dorado arkansas and i worked with dutch mantel now me being green in the business only been in the business for about a year i'm thinking they're bringing me in they know that i was a tag team champion and a singles champion for joe blanchard so they're going to do something with me right so I get to El Dorado, Arkansas. I'm in the dressing room. I'm getting dressed and all this and that. And Bill Dundee walks in. He says, Do you know Dutch Mantel? I said, No, sir, I don't. He said, Do you know what his finish is? I said, No, never seen it, which was a, a, a front suplex, basically. It wasn't, you know, it was a front suplex. No big deal. He said, uh, Y'all have your match and, you know, he'll hit you with the front suplex. and bam, it's over. And I'm thinking to myself, son of a bitch. I thought I was going to, they were going to do something with me. So, okay, whatever. But I didn't care. You know, just, I was enjoying working and making good money. So I worked, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a month or two. And then they put me with Ric Flair on TV. We did TV in Shreveport at the boys club. And, uh, I uh, I think he came in to work with Duggan or Terry Taylor or somebody. I don't know who the hell. But I had a pretty good match with him, and uh, I put him over, of course. That was my job. Uh, so I I got to uh, be good friends with Jake Roberts, and Jake had a lot of input, you know, because of Grizz being his dad, and Grizz is in the office and whatever. Uh, and then Al came in uh so jake's idea was was putting he and he and myself together me and al together and uh they were going to call us town and country because you know i'm from the country had the old country ass accent and al was from you know miami or tampa area and the whole deal so anyway and we you know we both had decent looks and bodies, and we stayed in the gym and worked our ass off. And Al was a hell of a talent. Uh, seriously, I mean, he had a great body, he could work, he was a good shooter, you know, he could do it all, but he lacked a little bit on the mic, okay, which was not my strong point either, so they decided to put us together, and they put us together, and uh, we had a brief little run, they put the belts on us but this one particular night in baton rouge they, they 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 split us up and put me in a match with duggan me and duggan were working with kamala and ray candy who was doing the zambui express deal at that time and uh, uh akbar was their manager of course well they wanted to do a big deal and wanted me to get the frickin' color and all that shit, and I didn't have problem doing it, so I did it. We were in Baton Rouge, and uh, somewhere during the freaking whole deal, I didn't get my blade put away good, and I ended up taking a big, huge gash Ooh. between my middle finger and my ring finger on my right hand. How in the hell, I don't know, but it was a massive freaking gash. So when the match was over, man, I mean, blood was... Every freaking where, and I walked back down the hallway and it was dripping. And I'm standing there talking to somebody, I don't remember who, and blood was dripping. And I'm thinking, Where in the hell is this blood coming from? And that's when I realized that i had this big, huge gash between these two fingers, which was gonna require some stitches. So I told Grizz, I said, Grizz, what the hell? He said, Well, go to the doctor or the hospital emergency room get sewed up and send a bill to bill. All right, not a problem. So I left left the arena, got cleaned up, left the arena, went to the emergency room and got sewed up and I had them send a bill to uh you know, Mid South Championship Wrestling, blah blah blah, whatever. Well shit the next the next week when we got paid, they took the damn money out of my check. Bill watched them. <laughs>
1: garnished it
0: yeah it pissed me off so I said well how about this bullshit I'm doing something you wanted me to do to get your guy over and I get freaking hurt in the process and you're going to take it out of my check and I'm freaking mid card guy at best you know making a third of what he's making or half of what he's making I said bullshit on this and anyway that's that's when the shit happened there that's when I decided you know what shit on this I'm done Bill find you somebody else to team up with Al Perez. That's when I freaking hauled ass. Oof. So we were in Shreveport, and uh, it's probably a two-hour drive back to Baton Rouge where I was living. And Bill Bill Dundee was booking up till a week or two prior to that, but he had left and went back to Memphis. But the time I got home from Shreveport to Baton Rouge, My wife said, uh, somebody named Bill Dundee called you. I said, really? Yeah. Bill Dundee called you. I said, bullshit on that. shit on that. I said, pack your shit up. We're leaving out of here tomorrow. We're going back home. I'm gonna get me a real job. Piss on this wrestling shit. So, uh, anyway, uh, I think the next day I might've called Dundee back and he offered me a job to come in and work with Dutch in mid South, you know, that, uh, he was taking the books back over, and uh, um, Tommy and Bobby, the the uh, Fantastics, were going to be his number one tag team. He was going to be there. Dutch was going to be there. He wanted me to come in as one of the top baby faces. And um, I can't remember the rest of the, the card that was there. But um, anyway, I said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going home. Give me a week or two to think about it, I'll call you back. And this was a couple of weeks prior to Thanksgiving. So I talked to my wife about it. She said, you know, you ain't going to be satisfied if you don't do it. You know what I mean? Maybe things will be a little better. Well, I called Dundee up and said, okay, when you want me there. And it was a couple of days before Thanksgiving back in 1985. Uh, so. Go all the way back. You asked me, where did I get the name Wildcat Wendell Cooley? No, I did not come up with it. Skandar Akbar gave me that nickname probably two weeks before I got pissed and left. Oh, wow. When I, when I worked the deal with Duggan and he was involved in it, and I worked with Ray Candy a couple times who was one of his guys in his stable, Skandar Akbar actually gave me the nickname Wildcat Wendell Cooley, and it stuck. I never would have thought of that, really. Hmm.
2: Yeah. Benny, you, uh, you're always quick to talk about in another life you would have been sleeping outside the Coliseum in Memphis. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, you know, I mean, growing up in New York, of course, I was a huge Bruno fan. But, you know, n- knowing now, uh, you know, what I do, if I could go back in time, I think I would have grew up in Memphis because I would have been at the Mid-South Coliseum every Monday night without fail. I mean, there were – I mean – Good cards. It wasn't a wasn't a house show. I mean, it was the main event every week.
2: Absolutely. And I mean, how many times have we heard stories on the show about the atmosphere, the crowd in Memphis just being just such a unique monster to itself? Or I should say, animal, not monster. Sounds critical.
1: And I'm thinking, if I'm, you know, I'm a Wendell Cooley, and I'm walking down the aisle to Mid South College. You, you had to see the same people there week after week after week, and you, it's kind of like a, a bond between you and them.
0: Uh, well, I, I'll tell you, you know, I didn't get a lot of continental prior to leaving here, so I really didn't know a lot about anything other than. A little bit in, 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 in um um in Southwest for the Blanchards and a little bit for uh um, Bill Watts' territory, which was totally different. Um everybody had their little niches of how they wanted things. Bill was more into the big badass big guys beating people up kind of shit, you know, and right. um, the hostile Southwest was just trying to survive at the time, to be honest with you, when I first got there. But when I got to Memphis, man, it was a huge different, just, I mean, a program and a program and a program, and they were just coming from left field with some of the things that they came up with, and people would just eat it freaking up. Um, And I worked with Dutch for probably – I mean, the first month or two I was there, of course they had to bring me in and get me over. And I, I worked a couple of tag matches with Jerry. Jared as my partner and a few singles with some underneath guys. And then they finally got me in the program with Dutch. And then they turned that into a tag team, Dutch and Dundee teamed up with me and damn, if I can remember who my partner was at the time, but anyhow, uh, it was on fricking believable at, at what you could do there and get away with what you could get away with, you know, uh, just something totally just off the freaking wall.
2: Well, you go from Memphis, you go to continental solid territory, much closer to home. Like you were talking about, uh, I was hoping you kind of tell the story below. You were originally supposed to be an underneath guy, but you had impressed the Fullers. You talked about that, you know, obviously in the beginning of the show, your program with Adrian Street. Um, you had won, now, when you were in Memphis, you won the, uh, the CWA Heavyweight title. You had won the NWA Southeastern Heavyweight title. Uh, you won the NWA Alabama Heavyweight Championship on several occasions. And um, y- you kept talking about, and we've talked about it on the show before when you would bounce around in the promoters. They didn't really put the belt on and just anybody. They put it on somebody they knew was going to work that was going to sell uh, it, to fill the arena, as it were. And now here in Continental, much closer to, to your hometown in Florida. Um, did you feel at home in Continental in Florida or was it just at, even at the even at the time, just another territory to work in?
0: no when i got the call to come back home man that was the, the i mean that was the coup de grace i mean i figured that once i got here with my work ethic and i was home this is where i'm from it was a short territory i mean our longest trip at the time and until we picked up knoxville Um, Our shortest trip was, uh, I mean, our longest trip was 200 miles to Birmingham. You can make that and back in a night, no big deal. Uh, And then we picked up Knoxville and some other towns in Tennessee and Kentucky, uh, rekindling some of the older stuff from the Fullers back when they were there before they got Continental. Um, Knoxville was 500 miles, but we would always go up and stay and then work a show and then make the trip home. The trip home was long and there, but we were there a couple of days and good payoffs. I mean, freaking great payoffs. But anyway, long story short, when I got the call to come back, um, I had no idea what they were going to do with me and I didn't give a shit. I was just glad to come home. You know what I mean? And be home and have a short little territory, be able to be with my family and see my friends and, you know, just... Whatever, but um, I was talking with Adrian one night, and this was uh, several years down the road. Uh, I think we were doing a reunion show, and he is the one that told me when I was first brought in, they didn't bring me in thinking that I was going to be a top guy. Okay, Austin Idol had been here, and he had shortly just left before they brought me in. Uh, Bullet Bob was here. Brad Armstrong was here. Uh, And Brad's probably one of the very best ever workers in the business, but he just, the charisma and the ability on the mic was lacking, Um, I guess. I don't know why, why they didn't push him any harder. I was never great on the mic. I mean, I was average, but I guess I could. I had a little charisma and I could make people believe, you know, what I was doing and what I was saying. And I was always very conscious about my interviews. I never made promises that I knew that I weren't going to be able to keep. Because when you do, people lose confidence in you. So I always knew what was happening prior before I did an interview. So people would believe, you know what I mean, in, in me. And what I was gonna do. If I said I was gonna win tonight, then I knew that I was going to. There was no question about it. <laughs> you know I mean? All right. And that's how you build a fan base. Otherwise, you gotta be generic on your interviews. You can't just log into one group of people. You know, baby faces a lot of times log into the pretty young ladies, you know what I mean? Uh, and that's all good and well. I mean, that's gonna happen. But I I made sure that I talked about everybody, young, old, female, male. It didn't right. matter. I made sure that I always was was a a a uh, 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 you know in contact with everybody. Okay, right. I wanted to be everybody's you know hero, not just a certain group. So that is probably one of the biggest things for me when I came home is the reason I got over is because I, I really paid attention to what I was doing, how I was doing it. Nobody ever told me that. It was just something that, you know, I discovered. Because I'm watching all these interviews from the baby faces, you know. Hey, all you pretty young ladies, make sure you come out to Monday night to Birmingham, blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah, You know what I mean? All this bullshit. Right. You know, so I tried to make sure I included everybody. And i guess i impressed robert and ron because i was told one night in a kentucky town um one of our agents there in kentucky i got there early i always got there early so i could uh, set up my my gimmick table and i was making tons of money selling freaking merchandise man it's unreal how people weren't cashing in on that but i jumped on it quick um but anyway, he told me, he said, uh, how's things going, man? I said, oh, things going pretty good. How about you? He said, well, good. He said, well, I had to talk with Ron the other day about you. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. He said, Ron, really freaking impressed with you, man. He told me that you were his money man. I said, really? I said, well, hell, that makes me feel pretty freaking good. So from that point on, I knew, you know what I mean? Keep your nose clean and work your ass off, and you were going to be here until the place folded. And that's what I wanted to do, you know what I mean?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's funny, funny, Benny. Pretty, pretty young girls is the cornerstone of your fan demographic.
1: Uh yeah, go figure, right?
2: I, I yeah. keep saying, you know, all, all all jokes aside, Wendell, when we transitioned over uh and started having a YouTube page, the first couple comments we got across our first few videos were all women hitting on Benny. So
1: I got He's my pot my pod rats.
2: He's the, uh, <laughs>
0: there you
2: go. Benny's the, uh, he's got the, he's got that Magnum T.A. Ricky Morton attraction right now. Right.
1: So Wendell, uh, when you were in Continental and I saw this match, or at least part of it, uh, you wrestled, uh, who then NWA world champion Rick Flair. And I believe it was in front of a sellout uh, crowd in Birmingham. And you, I mean, you actually had him in the figure four, it was a very back and forth competitive match, and um, now I'm assuming at that point, were you the, were you the Southeast champion? And when he came into town, he wrestled a top guy, and that was you. Yeah. Okay.
0: You know, uh, I, I, all right, but Look, all right. um, back in, I mean, I knew that I had my spot. Okay, so, and and I knew that. You know, all I had to do was work hard, uh, keep my nose clean. Don't be a freaking troublemaker and shit like that. And I was going to be able to stay home, make good money. Cause I was making a freaking killing on merchandise and nobody was really jumping in until I got it started. And then Danny Davis jumped in on it, the Armstrong's and you know, a few others here and there, but dude, I mean, it was fricking unreal. Uh, Um, But, with that being said, um, I had worked with Flair a couple times, like I said, in the past in in, 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 uh, working for uh, Bill Watts, and uh, I knew that they weren't never going to put that belt on me, and I really didn't care. Okay? Um, But I knew that they were giving me a shot in the arm, which made me feel good because, I mean, you look at Austin Idol, who had been in the business 20-plus years and been all over the freaking country and worked for all the major promotions. Right. And I was able to come in and fill that void that he had left. I mean, the Armstrongs were there, but they were in the process at that point in time, more of a family-oriented tag team team. Um, kind of deal, you know, where Bob worked with Brad forever and then Bob started working with Scott for a while and then Scott and Steve teamed up and vice versa. And Bob was getting on up in age. Uh, So, um, you know, I was able to come in and fill that void for, like I say, whatever reason, dude. I really, I I can't put my finger on how, how and why it clicked so good so fast. I was just blessed, you know. But I, I, I promise you, I worked my ass off to get there. It wasn't handed to me. I can promise you that. Um, but, um, Flair, Flair, he and I had, like I say, worked together a few times prior to that. We had went out and drank a little bit, and you know, uh, indulged in, you know, uh, the nightlife seen a few times, and that was one of his favorite things, man. He loved it. So. more of a gentleman that most people give him credit for, as far as the business goes. Um, but he loved it. I'll give you that. Now, I'm going to tell you, he was, he was 100% freaking all about the freaking business and his persona his uh, 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 legacy his everything okay but when you work with rick flair you could take all you wanted to take and there was never a problem um he would give you plenty but if you felt like you needed to take a little more take a little more and he never had a problem with it
2: You were talking earlier about promos. When you were in Memphis, you were interviewed by Lance Russell and Continental many times. uh, Gordon Soley, the the dean of wrestling, Uh, I mean Benny. We we've talked about Benny and I have talked about on the show before. Lance Russell and Gordon Soley are top two definitely mount rushmore of announcers in the history of wrestling and i mean these guys not just presence but they could advance storylines and lend credibility to whatever match they called or promo segment they were in a part of uh I, did you enjoy working with these guys was it did, did their backstage personality come through or did tv was it was it exactly as it looked
0: I, I, that's probably two of the very best. And I didn't work with a ton of them, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, I, I, I uh, I, I never done the promo deals when I worked for Vince. I did a couple shows for Vince, and, uh, it just weren't my cup of tea. Um, but, um, Lance and Gordon and even Charlie Platt, okay? Charlie Platt was one of the, uh, originals. Um, when when Ron and Robert took over, Charlie was a disc jockey at that WTVY there uh, in Dothan where we did TV in the studio. Charlie was another one that really did the Lance and the uh, the Gordon Soli advanced the the the, uh, the 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 program and the interviews and things like that. And he was awesome too. But no. Those three guys there, whatever you seen in front of the cameras was the same way backstage. They did not have a dual personality being a prick and, you know, thought that, you know, they were the star of the show or anything like that. No, man, they were freaking awesome, awesome individuals.
1: So uh Wendell, after that uh your pretty much your last long run was in Puerto Rico for the uh, WWC the World uh, the World Wrestling uh Council and you tagged with Frankie Lancaster and you were actually on several occasions I think you won the uh WWC uh, tag team championships as the Heartbreakers and you were the uh, I believe Heartbreaker Apollo so what did you like uh, and not like about Puerto Rico Uh
0: you know, it was on that tail run. Continental had pretty much went out of business, went under. David Woods had bought it, and Eddie, uh, 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 Eddie Gilbert, he came in and was booking, and it kind of faded out. Ron Fuller had went to Knoxville and tried to reopen that territory under USA, and I went and worked for him for a few months, and that one faded out. Uh, Vince and uh, um, Ted Turner was running all of our town and you know of course they had millions and millions and millions of dollars back in them and Ron and Robert were you know on the thousands I would presume I don't know but there were times that we outdrew them in certain towns Um, they would have a show the same night as us and we would outdraw them but Long story short, we were on the the tail end of all of that. I'm in my early 30s, and I'm trying to think of what my future is going to look like. It's either go to work for Vince or go back home and get a real job, get some benefits. You know, I got a young family still. um, And I knew that the territories were over with. So uh, my, 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 my longtime friend, Frankie Lancaster, I met him in 1984. He came in to work for Joe Blanchard, um, and I convinced him to leave. I'm sorry, you met him when? In 1984. When I was working for Joe Blanchard, he had just came in, only been there a couple of weeks. They had promised him. Buck Robley was doing the books at that point in time. That was one of the biggest reasons that I decided to leave at that time. Um, and, um, I convinced him to leave after the first week or two, he was there. I said, you got to get out of here, dude. This place is dead. It's dying. You need to move. I think I can probably help you. And I got him an opportunity to go with me to, uh, mid South to work for Bill Watts. So anyhow, he and I have got to be good friends. Um, we room together a lot. We travel together a lot. Uh, whenever he left mid South. He went back home to Tampa, and I went to work for, uh he might have went to Tampa or might have went to world class. He may have went to world class when he left Bill Watt, but I went to Memphis, and um anyway, I ended up getting him to come up to Memphis and work a little bit, and then I got him in Continental, and uh, um we became like best friends, brothers from a different mother kind of thing. So, you know, all these territories are dead, gone, dying out. He was still wanting that big run that he had never had. And um, he had been to Puerto Rico as a singles underneath guy uh, and spent a few months over there. So he called me one day and, hey, he said, you want to go to Puerto Rico? I said, no, not really. You know, I'm in transition where I'm either going to go to work for Vance or I'm going to move back to Florida because I was in North Alabama at the time. I'm either going to uh, work for Vince or I'm going to freaking back home and get me a job and, you know, call it real. You know, I did what I wanted to do. It was over with. You know, I had a good run. I enjoyed it, whatever. So he said, look, let me, uh, let me call Carlos and see what Carlos would do with us. I said, look, if I go to Puerto Rico, I'm going on a guarantee, okay? Now, this was shortly after, uh, you know, Brody had gotten killed. And, uh, you know, I kind of had second thoughts about going over there in general. But uh, I said, if he'll put us on a guarantee, I'll go over there and give it a try. So he called me back and said, hey, Carlos will put us on a guarantee. He'll bring us over as a tag team. We'll be heels. I've never been a heel in my life. I said, okay, that's fine with me. Let's go try it. If I don't like it, I ain't making you no promises. I'm going to leave. So we got over there. I came up with the name of the Heartbreakers, um, Apollo and Adonis, and uh, we uh, we had a we had a good run and could have stayed there until the doors closed. I, I'm telling you, um, I had probably been there two or three weeks, and Jose Gonzalez, who was the one supposedly that killed Brody, uh, I worked with him numerous, numerous, numerous nights, and he just freaking sung praises of, of my ability and my work and, you know, whatever, and blah, 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 blah. And uh, Carlos really took a liking to me. Um, but that's the first time I've ever really done much tag team stuff because I'm kind of the guy that I don't want to think for two different people. I want to think for myself and just kind of react but when you're in a tag situation, you got to try to think for your partner, set your partner up, and whole lot of freaking work. You know what I mean? And to be honest with you, I'm a lazy son of a bitch when it comes to <laughs> getting in the ring. I want to just get in the ring, see what the reaction is, and if you can get a reaction just coming in the ring and, and, and disrobing, dude, it's, it's a freaking easy night. You hear me? Oh, yeah. Seriously. It's an easy freaking night. You ain't got to really do a lot of nothing. And you can just play it by ear and do what you got to do, get your finish, go home. But when you're in a tag match, man, if if anything is really going to flow and look good, feel good, and appear good, you know, you've got four people in that ring. And you got to think for everybody, pretty much. And that's a lot of damn hard work every freaking night. But anyway... We made it, uh, I don't know, four, five, six months, and they brought uh, Dick, Dick, uh, Dick Murdoch in to take the books over. And uh, Frankie and I had a, a guy we had met who was a local, who was taking us to and from the towns because we didn't have a car, and you had to depend on, you know, the guys or somebody to get you to and from. So we had met this Mark over there, and uh, we were traveling somewhere one night. I don't remember where we were going, but it was a pretty good long trip. We ended up in an automobile accident, a, a, a broadside. We were probably running 60 and hit a big freaking Pontiac broadside, and it threw me through the windshield and oh, bang, bang, bang bang busted me up and cut me up pretty freaking good. Uh, neither one of the other two guys were hurt, Frankie or the driver, but it got me pretty good because Frankie was behind me in the passenger seat who hit my seat, who I, I didn't have a seatbelt on, which threw me through the front windshield and uh, messed up my, my head and my face and my arm pretty good. So after a couple hours on side of the road, we finally got in an ambulance and I got to the hospital and they um, – I don't know, twenty something stitches in my head and face, and twenty something in my arm, and uh, we made it. To the, yeah, we made it to the show. Somebody came and picked us up. Don't even remember who that was. Somebody came and picked us up and got us to the show. And uh, Murdoch said, uh, "Where you guys been? You're late." Well, no shit. Been in a freaking car wreck. You know, weren't cell phones back then. You know, nobody right. called anybody and let nobody know anything. He said, Well, you guys are up next. I said, Not me. <laughs> he said, Oh, yeah, you got a wrestler knife. I said, No, bullshit, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> yet. Freaking ring. Are not, you freaking not, crazy?
2: Not after that not beating. Till
0: get, not till I get well, dude. I mean, I just got in the car wrecked and I got 40 something stitches in me, and I'm not getting in there to taking a chance of getting staffed and all that bullshit because over there, man, we bled every freaking night. That was one of the biggest things I hated about Puerto Rico. Every night they wanted frickin' juice. Every night. Especially Oof. if you're ill. And And um, I told him, no, hell no, I'm not. So we had a few words, and then a couple uh, days later, uh, you know, it escalated and whatever. And anyway, I said, you know what? Shit on this. So Frankie I said, I'm done with this frickin' place, man. You can have it or whatever you want to do with it, but I'm done with it. And that's when I left and came back home. Uh, and got me a job with the government, who I'm still with. I got another year and a half, and I can retire for the second time. But um, I've done a few independent shows over the last few years, mainly the Continental Reunion shows is the main ones that I do because of, you know, the history there. Uh, But I've done a few others. Frankie had a career after wrestling. He has retired, now owns his own business. He is a, uh, a uh, what do you call him? Not an exterminator, but a, I mean, that is a short-term work. He owns his own pest control company. Okay. Okay. okay? Um, and I'm retired one time already after 23 years with the union as a certified uh, plumber slash type fitter I'm working on my second retirement as a civil service employee if you, and um, you know it was all fun man it was it was, it was something else um, I don't think I would have enjoyed the way it is today even if I'd have got a good contract I don't think I would have enjoyed it
1: well what Wendell Jim Cornette made the statement uh, that uh, if Wendell Cooley, had been around a little bit earlier that he would have been a top guy in all the territory. So like, what what do you think if you had broken in, in the early seventies uh, instead of the early eighties, where do you think that your career would have taken you?
0: Um, The way, the way that things started and the love that I had for it and the, 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 the work ethic, I would have retired from it. I would have, I would have retired. There's no doubt I would have retired from it. Um, but like I said earlier, I had an opportunity to work for Vince. Vince, I worked two shows for Vince. Worked one show in Nashville with the Bushwhackers, Frankie and I did as a tag team. But I knew that we weren't going to wear as a tag team. I mean, I knew that. Okay, that weren't what my my destiny Destiny was going to be if I was going to do anything. It was going to be as a single, uh, but I didn't want to start all over. I could have worked for Vince. There ain't no doubt. I could have still be working for Vince. There's no doubt. Uh, but I did not want to start all over and let him recreate me, rebrand me. You know, after being in the business. At, At that time, it was probably 10 years, maybe 11, 12, I don't remember, Um, and get beat up by all of these big freaking monsters he was training in his school and bringing out and taking a chance of getting hurt. You know, I'd already suffered two major, major freaking knee injuries. And uh, I, I just weren't, you know, that wasn't my desire. Start all over now had he have brought me in and say, Okay, we're gonna put you mid card and if you can handle it, we'll move you on up. I would have probably taken that. But to bring me in and I mean I, I could see the writing on the wall because of the amount of talent that was there that he was already pushing, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. And I was a late comer, you know, everybody kind of bailed out in I don't know, late eighties started making their moves, heading to WCW and WWF and all these places. And I'm still chasing these little couple territories left. Uh, They weren't going to put me in and over them because I never had any national exposure at that time. I had plenty of ring time, plenty of, uh, uh, plenty of uh, what experience, but I knew that they weren't going to bring me in and, you know what I mean? Give me the shove and give me top dollar, and you know I was going to work with the guys that could work and not hurt you. I knew what I was going. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, I was I, I wasn't interested in that.
2: Well, well thanks uh, so much for your time. I mean, I know a lot of good stories, a lot of territory time, and and we always try and hear them because you know a lot of the fans don't get the inside scoop like that. Um, but before we let you go, um, are you still involved? And and do you have any, anywhere people can find you?
0: Um, I'll tell you what, man, I, uh, I, I, I have nothing bad to say about the wrestling business in general, even with, you know, what's going on nowadays. I mean, I had my heyday. It was, freaking awesome. I made a great living. I had great opportunities that a lot of people never would have ever had. Traveled to places I never would have traveled if I would have had a regular job instead of been in this business. It was good to me. Um but nowadays I will if the opportunity is the right opportunity to go. Somewhere and work for somebody if the financial end of it is where I think it needs to be. Uh, but I love to play golf. I got a son who is 28 now that weren't around during those days. Uh, he loves to play golf. I love to play golf with him. I have a daughter who just turned 19. Of course, she weren't around in those days. I did a lot of independent shows so she could be a part of it and experience it. My son really doesn't care much about it. Uh, but anyway, long story short, uh, I have a a desire. Well, you know, I, and we didn't get to talk about this, but when I got out of wrestling, I started a band, okay, a musical <laughs> band. We played <clears throat> top 40 and all the biggest country hits of the uh, 80s and early 90s at that time. Actually, it was the early 90s at that time when I had my band together. We were called Wendell Cooley and Nothing Special. Uh, we traveled around, we didn't travel around worldwide. We traveled around locally. We were the house band at four different, uh, four different uh, uh, venues. Uh, nightclubs okay. and we played for about three or three and a half years um and that kind of filled the void for you know having that being out front have that you know uh i, I don't know the, the explanation i could give to it but it filled the void for the void of wrestling you know uh being in front of everybody and entertaining and, you know, getting that, you know, that feel and that, I don't know, that high from it or whatever. Anyway, nowadays, all I do every Saturday night, if you guys go on Facebook or put a, put a post, I have a dear friend of mine that I grew up with who now has third stage three colon cancer. Um, He's undergoing chemo right now. They removed two foot of his colon. Uh, every Saturday night, it's called Lil Will and Wildcat on Facebook Live around six o'clock. We do live karaoke every Saturday night. Nice, that's one of the nice things I look for every week. And that's
2: you're you're in the handle, so that's six p.m. Central time, right?
0: Yes. Yes, between 6 or 6.30. It's never dead on the dot because, you know, things, him, you know, undergoing his cancer and his treatments and things like that. But, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, fans could uh, actually enter, you know, interact with me there if people wanted to, to, uh, you know, tune into that. Uh, But we have guests occasionally that sing with us, but mainly it's he and I. He'll sing six or eight. I'll do six or eight or ten. And, and uh, uh, you know, just to have a good time and gather around because you never know when, you know, when the last time you're going to be together. Of course. And one <laughs> last time, what was that channel called again? It's Lil Will Live. Facebook Live. Lil Will. L-I-L-W-I-L-L. Lil Will. Lil Will. Okay. Well, there yeah. you have it. It's every Saturday night around 6 6 30th so if they'll tune in around 6 they'll know when we're actually actually going to kick it off but we do it every saturday night rain or shine and uh we have fun and we sing and we just you know have a good time Nice. nice sounds
2: like fun yes well for the uh wildcat Wendell Cooley, again, thank you so much for your time. No Z for the original Long Island Iced B, Benny Scala. I'm Dan Sebastiano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring.